That's why we have them sit in the front. Yeah. <laughs> no, just kidding. Glad you guys are all with us today. Yes. Open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians 3. We're going to finish up our sermon from last Sunday. As you know, I got a little carried away, mainly because of Paul being a prisoner. I, I, had to, I went back, and I'm just going to give you the references this, this week, if you go back to Acts chapter 19 and 20, and, and uh, find out how, why Paul is saying, even saying this in, in um, Ephesians chapter 3, for this reason, verse 1, Paul says, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. If you remember, we, when we first started the book of Ephesians, I mentioned to you that Paul is writing out of prison. He's in prison. He's in Rome. He was arrested for, well, uh, he was accused of bringing in a Gentile into the temple, which, if you remember, as I mentioned here a few weeks ago, there was this wall that was placed around the temple, and uh, Gentiles were not to pass that wall. And there was a sign all the way around in different parts of the wall stating, if you, if you, a Gentile, would cross this line or cross this wall, you're placing your own life on your own head. It was immediate execution. So to have somebody come up and say, well, Paul did this was, first of all, far-fetched. I mean, you know, everybody would have seen it. And second of all, it was just untrue, you know, mainly and the main reason. But, uh, but Paul had been followed by these Judaizers that we talked about them in Galatians. And we talked about these Judaizers, people that were... Apparently, Christians had committed their life to Christ, but they were going around telling people you had to follow the Mosaic Law. You had to follow the customs, the sacri- the, all, all the celebrations and all the festivals, and mainly being circumcised. I mean, th- these guys were just adamant about their works salvation. And if there's something that you, you I'm sure you've heard me say many times before, I, I am not a works salvation type of person. It's all by grace. It's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There's nothing that I did in order for me to be saved. Amen? We, we know this. And uh, I'll talk a little bit more about that. But for the Jewish person, it, it was difficult to include other religions or other races. It was just the Jews and the Gentiles. Gentiles encompassed just about everybody else, all nationalities. But Paul was going around preaching, saying, look, the Gentiles are brought in. The Gentile and the Jew are one. The Gentile and the Jew are one. And he he said it in Galatians. He said it in Ephesians. He went to the Corinthians. Everywhere he went, the Jews and the Gentiles are one. We are one. And and I try to make a picture, draw a picture for you to see the animosity between these two sides. I mean, it was just an ugly, ugly racial tension between the Jews and the Gentiles. Jews hated the Gentiles, and Gentiles hated the Jews. It was just that obvious and that blatant that there was no hiding it. And they had no problem in expressing this hatred and animosity toward one another. Now, the Jews knew all these years, uh, since the beginning, that, the, that God was going to use the Jewish nation to bless other nations. God had told Abraham, I will bless you and you will be a blessing to other nations. Well, they understood that. And they understood that if anybody wanted to come, in, come on board as a Jew, as a proselyte, then what would happen is that they, they would have to go through all the customs and everything else. And then you would be a part of, you won't be in, inside of the, the circle of the Jewish nation, but you will be a part of us. You're kind of like a distant cousin. But yes, we recognize you and you can be a part of our festivals and all that. But, but, but the inheritance, that is solely ours. And that was their whole thing. 
That's why Jesus Christ came to make the two one, is what Paul said. Out of the two men, we've made one, one nation, one, one individual, one person. And so now when Paul was preaching this, they have the same inheritance, they have the same father, they have the same hope, they have the same everything. Well, this really just irritated the Jewish nation. And so they had him arrested. And he was arrested for, he was in prison for two years in Jerusalem and then taken to Rome and in Rome for three years. And after that, we have at least what we know of as the, uh, as tradition tells us, that he was executed, uh, probably, uh, as some people have said, beheaded. And we don't hear any more about Paul or, or his, what he was doing. However, before he was executed, he had the opportunity to write these letters. And so when Paul is Going out, he says, look, I've been talking to you about that you, God has been creating this church, this bride. He's been creating this, this group of people and that the two are now one. From the foundations of the world, you have been selected. This is not an afterthought. This is something that God purposely did. This is not something that, you know, just, well, you know, now that you guys have sinned, I've got to fix this and kind of make you guys. It's always been from the foundations of the world, this one body, this one church. And so as Paul is preaching this, and he goes on to, to tell them that, you know, you've been saved by grace. You, you used to be an outcast. You used to be a foreigner. You weren't a citizen. You were without hope. But now you are brought in and part of uh, the, the nation. You're part of this one body. In, in Romans 12 and also in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, one body with many members. And all these members belong to one another. And so we made the argument for the universal church and also for a local body of believers as well. And what Paul does here is very unique. It's very, it's interesting the way he does this. And he's been known and he's been accused of going off on tangents. And this is one of them. And he starts off in first, uh, in chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then all of a sudden, he pauses. And it has been said that verses 2 through 13, the ones that we're going to cover today, are a big parentheses because in verse 14, he goes back to his thought and he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. In essence, what Paul was doing, he says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, I need to pray for you that you understand what it is that I had just taught. But before he even prays that prayer, he has to go over the information and he becomes a little more precise as to why the church was put together, as to why the two have become one, as to why it is important to understand this. And I've been accused of you know, going over and over and repeating myself on, on some, many occasions, but it's, it's a practice that the Jewish people had. He told the people, he constantly told them, remember where you came from. Remember you were slaves. Remember you were in bondage in Egypt. Remember where you come from. Remember that God saved you. And Paul says that Jesus Christ on the night he was betrayed, he says, he took this bread. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus himself told his disciples, you will do this in remembrance of me. As a matter of fact, the Holy Spirit is given to us to remind us, to bring to remembrance all the things that he had said. And it's important that we understand that we have to remember, we have to remember, we have to remember. Going over this, you know, we only have this one book. That's all we have. We just have this one book. One book, 66 books. All these chapters and verses, and we go over this over and over and over and over again. Why? Because we are to remember. Paul says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. Then he goes on to say, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace. So, in essence, let me just go back and do some, some recap from last week. Number one, I need to remember who I am. Paul says, I am a prisoner. 
He says, I am a prisoner. Number two, I need to repeat what I have learned, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace. The word stewardship comes from the Greek word oikoinome. Oikoinome comes, uh, the, the root word is oikos. Oikos is the household. Oikoinome is the steward or a manager. Uh, in some of your translations, you would have a dispensation of, the, of these things. You, you dispense the goods of the owner. They're not yours, but you're dispensing this information. You dispense the power that the, that the owner has given you. You take care of the, those that are working for you. You give them their pay. You take care of the household. It's not your household, but you are a steward, a manager of what God has given you. Paul says, he says, assuming that you have heard of this stewardship or this dispensation of God's grace that was given to me. He didn't go out looking for it. As a matter of fact, he was fighting against it. He didn't go out requesting it, didn't put it in application. He wasn't out knocking on church's doors. Hey, can I be your pastor? How much do you pay? Never mind. I'm going to the next church to see if, you know, maybe God's calling me over to where they pay a little bit more. Um, you, You know, he wasn't working at this. God gave him this responsibility of being a steward. It was given to him how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. And now he starts getting into the, the, the fact that what he's doing, what he's talking about, is that what he has learned, the mystery. God had all kinds of mysteries. They knew that the Jews and the Gentiles were going to come together. The Jews are going to bless the nation, all the nations around them. But they didn't understand the full ramifications of it on how they were going to be one. That's the mystery that Paul is talking about. This mystery of the church from the foundations of the world was made known to him by revelation. God revealed to him this this idea, this understanding of the church becoming one body, as I have written briefly, and he has written about this already. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. And so he's saying, here's what I'm going to share with you. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about what Jesus Christ has shown me. So I need to remember who I am. I need to repeat what I have learned. And he's going back and he's going to repeat exactly what he had just said with a little bit more emphasis. And then chapter, uh, point number three, in verses five and six, he says, I need to realize the mystery involves me. You need to realize that you are part of this mystery. See, from from way back when, God had designed the church to be developed. And the church was supposed to be one body along with the Jewish nation. And along with the Jewish nation, we are now grafted in. We have been adopted. We have been given full inheritance. Those are the things that Paul was preaching, and those are the things that got Paul in trouble, and those are the things that got him placed in prison. That's why he says, you know, you know me, I'm a prisoner of Christ. He was literally a prisoner of the Roman Empire. He was actually a prisoner of the Jewish nation in Jerusalem. He was a prisoner. He could have said, I'm a prisoner of the state. I'm a prisoner of Rome. I'm a prisoner of Caesar. I'm a prisoner. He could have said, but his perspective was, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus, of no one else. I am here because this is where Jesus Christ wants me to be. And therefore, I'm happy to be here. And we know that as he was in prison, he preached the gospel. Many people got saved. The household of Herod got saved. And he's preaching the gospel to all these uh, prisoners and, and also to the guards and people that would come to visit. And that was his main focus. Beloved, take a look at your situation. Where are you? What's going on in your life? You're there because this is what God wants you to understand and see, to use that for His glory. When I was uh, in the hospital with the COVID, I I was there for six days. I said, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? You know, where am I going? How am I going to use this to further your kingdom? People came. I would minister to them. I would share the gospel with them. Uh, I had a celly. I mean, my... my, (laughs) 
I'm sorry about that, guys. Uh, my roommate, <laughs> he was, we had two, two of us inside. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's from way back when. I preached to him, you know, and, and all these people that I was talking to, apparently they were stating they were Christians, but they had this fear and this anxiety. And beloved, I said to them, please, why are you so afraid of this sickness that you have? You should be more afraid of going to hell. You should be more afraid of, of disobeying and offending a holy God with the things that we say and the things that we practice. And so we were, I was able to share the gospel with many people there. I need to realize that the mystery involves me and how this mystery has been revealed, first of all, to Paul, and now the revelation has come to us through his word. You've heard me say this many times before. I believe in what's called a closed revelation. Everything we need to know is right here in, these two, in between these two leather binders right here. Anything I need to know is right there. Until I have exhausted that, will I even think about bringing in another revelation, which I won't. Revelation that supposedly people have. They say they have a revelation God from God told them, you know, that Jesus Christ is coming soon, so we better get ready. Well, I already know that. That's in Scripture. You know, uh, people say that they have got a new word from God, a fresh word. God says that, you know, we better get right. Well, I already know that. It's already in His word. If it agrees with God's word, I don't need it. But when it contradicts God's word, then I don't want it. And everything we need to know is right here. You see, if I allow a new revelation to come in, which many people out there talking about this new revelation, this fresh spirit, this new thing, this uh, anointing that's coming upon them, and they're able to speak and be spokespeople for God. Now, that's a very scary place to be in if you were to say that you are speaking on behalf of God. Because God's already spoken. God's already told us what we need to know. And if I would just allow, even if it was very spot on and great and good, if I allow one extra revelation to come in, extra something, then I have to allow everything else. And who am I to say, you know, what's right and what's wrong? You know, anybody can say whatever they want and you'll have to agree with them because, well, God told me. How do you argue with that? You know, one time somebody came up to me and says, you know, God told me to tell you this. And, you know, it was kind of far out there. And, you know, you need to move on to another church and start going to somewhere else. I said, well, you know, I appreciate your, you know, your, your, your concern for me. And, uh, but I met with the Lord this morning. He didn't say nothing to me about that. I, I don't know where, you know, what did you eat last night, by the way? Seriously, beloved, the word of the Lord has been spoken. Thus says the Lord. Now, there is a movement that has been going around for some time in this uh, new apostolic movement. They call it the NAR. And, and they, they are receiving this revelation that doesn't come to pass. And by their own admission, they say, well, you know, we can't be 100% accurate all the time. Beloved, if you're not accurate, you're not in God's word. The gospel message, the prophets, God said, if, that, if they say, thus says the Lord, and thus doesn't happen, then they're not from God. You execute them. Get rid of them because they are muddling up the word of God. We don't need another revelation. This is all we have. Paul got it. And they closed the canon. We believe in what's called the closed canon. They closed the canon. Closed revelation. They closed the revelation. And, and because God closed it by his Holy Spirit and said, this is what you need. And as he goes on to say, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise. Now that blew their mind. What do you mean they're partakers? They, they can't take what's ours? Yes, they have been grafted in. They're Gentiles, but now they are your brethren. And then we go to where we left off last week in chapter, uh, chapter 3, verses 7 and on. And number, uh, point number 4, and I'm going to give you the, the, the fill-in for that. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer and pray that... Um
God continues to reveal his word through his book and his words only. And, uh, and then we'll go on and I'll expound a little bit more about what Paul is saying here. But number four, I am responsible to share the gospel. I am responsible to share the gospel. Father in heaven, the gospel message has always been known. And Jesus Christ crucified, buried, and resurrection. The gospel message is that people, I have offended you, a holy God. And because my offense has d- disgusts you, and because my offense has, has separated me from all e- for all eternity from you, I needed a Savior. And as you said in your word, that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And so either my blood had to be shed or someone else's blood. And I thank you that Jesus Christ came onto this planet to shed his blood to save a sinner just like me. And I thank you for that, Lord. I didn't earn it. I couldn't work for it. As a matter of fact, at the very beginning, I didn't even want it. None of us wanted to be submitted to your son, Jesus Christ, because it causes a change, an alternate lifestyle change. And Father, that blood, that precious blood that was shed for me, I I thank you that you found in your mercy and in your grace to, to save a sinner like myself. And for that, I am ever thankful and will continue to share that with other people. My responsibility is to share what you have done by Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ, and in Jesus Christ. Through faith alone and grace alone, by Christ alone. And I pray, Father, that we can be consistent with that. My, the, the gospel is not my testimony. The gospel is not me feeding the homeless, though those are worthy things. The gospel is not just coming to church and praying in public. The gospel message is what you have done for sinners like me, like each one of us, and what that has meant in our life. So I thank you, Father, for that you give us this ability to share that. Not only do you give us the ability, but you empower us. You give us the power to do so, as you did Paul. Help us to look at things in a different perspective instead of what's happening to me. But because of what's happening to me, what do you want me to do? We are your prisoners, not of the state, not wards of the state or anyone else. We are your your servants. Command us and we will go. Help us to understand that today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul says in verses 7 and 9, Of this gospel I was made a minister. The word minister there is diakonos. Diakonos might sound a little familiar to you. That's what a deacon is. A deacon is not an elevated saint or servant of the church. Many churches have elevated their, uh, well, the elders and those that are have, of prominence and those that have been very important within the church, and they've elevated them to the, to the, uh, the level of a deacon. And, and a deacon should be looked up to and, and, and followed and mimicked, but, but a deacon was never intended to be one that is going to run and rule the pastor, for one. There are some churches that have what's called the deacon body, and they're the ones that tell the pastor and the overseers what to do. The deacons are the ones that, uh, in some churches, that, that they operate the whole operation of the church financially and all, all everything else. But from the very beginning, the word deacon, it meant to be a table waiter. Now, when you think about a waiter, 
Some of you have some of these favorite restaurants that you like to go to, and you like to go there because, and you ask for your waiter because, well, they're generally really nice. And sometimes they're a little bit generous. They give you extra fries or, you know, they won't charge you for that soda or a coffee. They'll give you a complimentary coffee. And you like the fact that they pamper you. And so we tip them appropriately. But see, that doesn't even give the word justice as to what a diakonos was. A diakonos was a table waiter. The person that you probably have no clue as to who he is. The one that cleaned up the child's vomit on that table for you. The one that picks up all the scraps and the food from on top of the table, underneath the table, scrubs it down, makes sure it's sanitized. That is the table waiter. That's what Paul says. I am that guy. As a matter of fact, that is the responsibility of all spiritual leaders. We are to serve you. See, the pastor is not the one that just calls the shots and yells at you every Sunday and you're supposed to elevate him to a place of prominence. Paul himself says, first of all, I'm a slave of Christ. You know, and I'll be a slave. I'm a doulos. I'm a slave. Second of all, I'm a diakonos. I'm a servant. I'm here to serve you. And when pastors grab this idea of being a servant of the church, people understand that he is not as elevated. And, you know, somehow that has worked kind of against me because I don't see myself as the person that needs to be elevated or exalted and and looked upon. And and it's worked against me because some people don't take me serious because, well, that church over there, they exalt their pastor and boy, they give a big procession and man, they give them a lot of money. Well, that's not me. Now, I'm not saying you can't do that. (laughs) Okay. Uh, An applause every once in a while. No, I'm just kidding. That's not the reason why I'm here. As a matter of fact, for the first five years of my ministry, I never received a salary. We used to give all the monies that we used to receive. I, I, I was, uh, we, we, had, we had started with nothing. And the, the church that was helping us, they would send me $500 a month. And I would use that for the facilities and for the bulletins and for all the things that we were at. This is almost 20 years, no, 25 years ago now. Uh, yeah, it's been that, that long, 1994. Yeah, well, anyways, uh, we started in Riverside. And we rented the facilities and I would use that. And then... They, they mentioned to me like two and a half years into the, the whole plant of the church, they said, we're going to have to start cutting you back from your salary. I said, salary? You guys don't give me a salary? He says, yeah, that $500 that we give you. We give you that, that's your salary. Oh, I, didn't, I thought that was for the church. And he says, what have you been doing with it? Well, I use it for the church. I don't make, I'm a student. I was a student at Cal Baptist. was working really hard. We, and we, we did okay on rice and beans. Beans and rice and Jesus Christ, remember? Potatoes. <laughs> a lot of potatoes. Uh, we did good. God took care of us. And it, it was just, that was my, my thought was that I'm going to be a servant. And I'm going to serve you. And if I ever get to the point where you see me not, you know, elevating myself, please put me in check. Because this is what Paul says that a leader should be, an elder should be. And if it's not that, then... You know, I I ask and I give you the permission because I don't ever want to elevate myself above you. I am here to serve you. Our leaders are here to serve you. We don't need hot shots. We don't need people, mavericks, going off in their different directions. And and that's one of the problems I've had with some staff that has come on board. No, 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 no. You know, calm it down. Hold your horses. Rewind a little bit. And and so it, it, it is that type of a culture, it seems like. Like I said, it, it plays for me or against me. I don't know. But I, it, regardless, Paul says, I am a minister according to the gifts of God's grace. Minister is not the paid professional. Minister is not the person that is in charge. Minister is the one that serves. You are to be a minister. If you want to classify me as anything, I am an elder. 
an overseer. I oversee the functions of the church, oversee the, the ministries of the church. And the ministers are the ones that do the ministry. Each one of us should come to a point where we are ministers within the church, serving one another, enjoying one another, giving back to one another, the one another's that we talk about during membership. And Paul says, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, Paul never looked at himself as one that was elevated. He says, I'm the least of all these guys. And he says, you know, I'm the, I'm the, not only am I the least, but I'm the worst sinner. I'm the worst, I'm the sinner of all sinners. The chief sinner, he called himself. Because I used to persecute the church. I've had a lot of people executed. I mean, just, just to think about that, Paul says, it just hurts my heart. I, I don't deserve any of this, Paul says, but I'm going to go out and I'm going to preach the gospel. And this is why his mentality was like, I don't care what happens to me. You see, until you understand what you've been saved from, can you have that passion and zeal for Christ? A lot of people don't realize what they've been saved from. You know, maybe, maybe you haven't had that salvation experience. Maybe the, the salvation that you probably had many years ago, you've, you've forgotten it or, or just you know, put it aside. And, and now it's just a matter of cruising through life now. I just go to church, get my Jesus on and, you know, go home and just go to work and do whatever it is I got to do. But salvation should have a profound effect on you for all eternity until the day you die. I remember a story that Rick Warren once told us while we were sitting around a, a table and he wrote it in his book, as a matter of fact, The Purpose Driven Life. He said his father was a church planner, not very successful. He went out and planted a lot of little churches, built churches. He was a builder of churches as well. And, and he was, he would, everywhere he went, he would share the gospel and bring people to Jesus, share the gospel and bring people to Jesus. And just one or two, and not a huge church again, you know, but he was just constantly preaching the gospel. At the end of his life, he started to get dementia. He had cancer. He was in a lot of pain. He was under a lot of uh, medication. And, and, you know, he was just struggling one night, Rick says. And he's by the side of his bed. And he's praying over his dad. And, and, and then he, he, his dad gets up and says, no, no, dad. He was very restless. He tried to lay him back down. He says, no, one, one more, one more. He says, no, no, dad. You, you got enough blankets. No, no, no. One, one more. No, I can't give you any more medication. No, no, no. One, one, one more for Jesus. One more for Jesus. And he got up. He says, no, no, dad. It, it's. What? And he just kept saying it over and over and over again. And finally, it's like his dad just sat up and, and put his hand on Rick Warren's head. says, one more for Jesus. And after that, it was a few days afterward that he passed away. He just went unconscious and didn't come back up. But, but that zeal, that passion to want to go out and share the gospel with people should be because of what God has done in your life. What has God done in your life? What has he done? Are you understanding the significance of the cross, of what Jesus Christ did for you? Are you understanding the, the, the profound effect it has had on you and how you'll spend eternity in heaven because of what Jesus Christ did? Not any work of your own. Paul had this understanding and he wanted the people to get this understanding. He says, you know, I am the least of all the saints. This grace was given to to preach to the Gentiles, the people that God's people don't want anything to do with, to bring them in. I'm in prison because of them. I, I want to share this with as many people as possible, Jews as well. But we got to bring the Gentiles in. And then he goes and he proclaims, this is the purpose of the church. I'm responsible to share the gospel. Why? 
to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring the light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This mystery, this mystery that has now been unveiled, was kept from everybody and everything, any principality, any power, it was kept from nobody knew. And Paul's about to explain the reason why. And he says, this is why I I am responsible to share this gospel. You are responsible to share this gospel. You may not ever get up on a podium and preach to people. You may not ever have to go knocking on doors. But everyone that you come in contact with needs to hear the gospel. I, I came across uh, some gentleman in the Costco line just recently, and, uh, and I was talking to him, and, and he was, I forget what it was, what happened, we were kind of sitting next to each other, and I says, yeah, well, you know, this line is long because, well, first of all, the baskets are, you know, this, and then everybody's doing six feet, and, oh, I'm sorry, there's no, don't worry about it, I'm okay, I follow the science. He goes, you do? I go, yeah, the, the science, with 100% certainty that eventually you're going to die. That's the science, whether it's by this disease or by whatever disease, you're going to die, and he goes, Wow. That's pretty profound. I go, yeah. The question is, where will you spend eternity? You will die. It's just a, a fact. As I've said, <laughs> it's not that funny, Mia. Yeah? She, 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 you're, you're good, but you're off cue a little bit, okay? Just wait till I say something funny. The, 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 the part of it is, is this, is that, yes, you live long enough, you will die. You live long enough, it'll happen. And for those of you that have experienced that salvation from God through Jesus Christ, by faith alone, in grace alone, by Christ alone, for those of you that have shared that, I, I cannot for the, for the life of me understand why you wouldn't want your loved ones to know the same thing. Your friends, people around you, people are just going through life like nothing. Politics is involved in everybody's life. Social justice is involved in everybody's life. You, you know, life is involved in everybody's life. We are too busy doing life to worry about anybody else. And it's a certainty, beloved. I'm I'm doing three three funerals this month, you know, and and, uh, it's a certainty. And these are just people I know. Some of you probably know more people. You see how, Paul says in Romans 10, 14, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How are they ever going to call on them? Well, I go to church. People know that. Yeah, you go to church, that's good. But how are they going to call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they going to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching to them? You see, faith just doesn't happen. Faith is not something that you're born with. Faith is something that has to come through the word of God because faith comes by hearing. And Paul goes on to say, hearing what? Hearing the word of God. You have to have the word of God in you to be able to proclaim it out to them. Faith comes from hearing. Hearing the word of God. Not just because somebody gives you faith or not because you pray for it. You can't give faith to anybody. The only way a person can get faith is through the word of God. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this faith is not of yourself. It's a gift of God. This faith is given to you through God's word. This is why God's word is so important. This is why we put it on outlines. This is why I ask you to take it home, to read it, to memorize it. Those within our group that that are going through this Bible study right now, uh, we're memorizing scripture. And they're doing a great job. Right, James? (laughs) Doing a great job. 
I'm not picking on you, but you know, you're in my class, but he's doing a great job. And, and, and we're memorizing it. We're going over this stuff because it is important to know. Number five, back to your outlines. I need to reflect the wisdom of God. Here it goes. So Paul says that the unsearchable riches of Christ to bring to light for everyone who, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that the church, the manifold wisdom, I'm sorry, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be known. This is why, this is why the church has been built and designed. It's not primarily to win souls, which is a noble task. I mean, this is what we're all to be about. But that's just a means to the end. The end and the purpose of the church is to, is to express and to make known the manifold wisdom of God. To make it known, not only to other people, but here, catch this, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That was according to His eternal purpose that has now been realized in Christ Jesus. That, is, that now has to be it's been realized in Christ Jesus. Who are these rulers and authorities? Well, when Paul talks about rulers and authorities in other places, he's mainly speaking about angels. The angels in the heavenly realm. There's been a big push lately and, and recently, and I guess it's been going on for a very long time, that this, this worship of angels or this focus on angels and this idea of angels. We had, we had a gentleman within our church that, um, that would, was teaching that everybody has an angel. Well, you know, I, I don't know about that. The Bible doesn't say that we all have an angel. He says some people have two. Billy Graham says that we, some people have two or three. If that's the case, I must have had like 50 of them. I had to have, you know, the stuff I was doing. When I got saved, people say, your angel's retired. <laughs> they go, you know, kept this guy alive all this time. You know, thank you, Lord. But the, 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 the actual uh, knowledge of that, the Bible just says that there's angels. They're ministering spirits. And we are not to look for angels. We are not to worship angels. We are not to look at angels. See, angels don't know everything. As a matter of fact, when Paul is talking about the authorities in the heavenly places, this wisdom that God has, angels are spoken of in all kinds of different ways. They're, they're false angels. And contrary to popular belief, angels don't know everything. This is a prime example. Because see, through the church, God's multi-purpose, multi-faceted, multi uh, purpose, wisdom, his manifold wisdom. And we're singing about that, you know, his manifold wisdom today. And, and his manifold wisdom is being made known to the rulers and authorities. The rulers and authorities in heavenly places, to the angels. It's like when the church came together. It's like the Jews and the Gentiles that hated each other. These angels know that. They have been in the business of getting the message of God to these people. You know, go down and talk to Lot. Tell him to get out of Sodom because I'm going to burn that place to the ground. Get him out of there. Two angels went to Sodom and talked to Lot and let's go. And the people, the other men, wanted to have relations with these other men. They were angels. And they pulled them out and God rained down sulfur and fire upon Sodom and Gomorrah. God sent a messenger, an angel, to Abraham. God has used angels throughout the whole process of the Bible. Even today we might entertain angels because we may not know these angels. We may not even know who they are. However, people have seen things, a glow of light, a something, you know, a, a cross or a picture of some sort. And people swear by their everything that they have seen an angel. 
And now this angelology is, has come up and crept up. And there are books that have written on how to get a hold of your angel, how to speak to your angel, how to get direction from your angel. And beloved, none of that is biblical. The one, the one person I was talking about earlier, he used to say that, you know, you can smell your angel. I hope not. <laughs> my angels stink. No, no, no. He says, mine smell like butterscotch. I go, where do you get that from? Is it in the Bible? He goes, well, no. So why do you even teach it? And he was telling everybody, everybody has an angel that has a distinct smell. And the focus of angelology is not a biblical thing. As a matter of fact, angels don't know everything. You know, and, and if you think about this a little bit further, you have to understand that in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, Paul is talking about these false apostles, false prophets, and how all these, all these people are following Satan. And he goes on to say, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Now think about that for a moment. If the Bible is not talking to us about following angels, of going to angels, as a matter of fact, in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, uh, God is talking to this king and he says, How you have fallen from heaven, O day star, Lucifer, son of David, O son of dawn, excuse me, how you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. He's, he, angels have this, this will and this authority to be able to do the things that I guess other people can. Satan, Lucifer, had the ability to go up against God. The angels that serve God, they do not go up against God. They will not go up against God. This is why when Satan was cast down in Revelation chapter 12, and a dragon with the seven heads, he was cast down from heaven, and with his tail, he swiped down one-third of the angels. Because those were the ones that were going with Satan. They said, we can be the same way. We can, we can do what we want to do. And so there's a third of God's angels on this planet that are deceiving people all over. And they're not just deceiving the ungodly. As a matter of fact, the ungodly don't need to be deceived. They're already deceived. They're already in Satan's clutches. Who do you think they're deceiving? They're deceiving people that want more than God. They want a little bit more. They want more than God's word. They want more of a revelation. They want more of something else because, you know, I don't need the Bible. I don't need a preacher to tell me I'm bad, I'm wrong, I'm sinful. You know, I don't want, you tell me I'm good. Show me how I can get prosperity. Show me how I can follow my angel to a, a place of, of, of knowing what to do and what not to do. Beloved, all that's demonic. That is not what the, the Bible talks about. As a matter of fact, again, 2 Corinthians eleven fifteen says, So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. You see, there are angels. Hebrews, Hebrews 1 says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent to serve for, for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? They, they come and they serve and, and they, they, they come and, and they're, they're a part of God's economy to help us along the way in the way that God wants us to go. Not for our benefit, but for God's benefit. And here's a very good verse in Hebrews 13 too. It says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Do not neglect to show hospitality to those people that you may not know who they are. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. In other words, if you see an angel... The Bible says you're not going to recognize him. You're not going to know it's an angel. But if you see an angel and you think it's an angel and you recognize it as an angel, guess what happens? People start to follow that spirit. But the Bible says you, you got to be careful. You know, you have to be nice. You have to show hospitality because you don't know if you're entertaining an angel. And that's the key word. You don't know. You don't. And it's 
unfortunate. You know, there are a lot of things that doesn't make, don't make sense within our world, and somehow it just doesn't come together right. And Well, what about this, and what about that? What about, you know, aliens and dinosaurs, and what about all these other, you know, I mean, all that's just meant to, to deceive and to confuse. You stick to the Word of God. In one verse that I'd like for you to memorize, and you might want to write, write this down, in Deuteronomy 29.29. Deuteronomy 29.29 is God's basically fifth. I don't have to answer all your questions. He says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of his law. We have God's law. The things that he has revealed to us, that is what we're supposed to be focusing on. Not those things that we can't see. And so there is no sense. And as a matter of fact, the Bible even forbids the worship or the attention or the focus of angels. In Revelation 19, an angel showed up to John and he tells John, John, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. And here's what John did. John says, then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. If you see a true angel and you start to follow and worship him, he will tell you, you must not do that. That's what he'll tell you. He'll he'll focus you toward the cross. He'll say, this is where you need to go. You know, I'm just here the messenger. Don't don't try to bring any homage to me or bring any type of praise to me or attention to me. I am the all attention goes to Christ. All attention goes to him. You see, beloved, here's what happens. When we start to uh, follow this other group, you know, this angels or, you know, that says you can get your blessing, you can get this, you can get that, you know, just just come to me, come to me, you know, and give your money and all this other stuff. You can get all you want from this angel or this Holy Spirit or whatever the case may be. And many people, they come to church, they want a blessing, they want a healing, they want a word, they want a fresh word, they they want to feel good, they want to be filled And all through the process, not one word is ever spoken about Jesus Christ. And you know why Satan wants you not to focus on the cross? Because that's the focus of the whole church. That's the purpose of the whole thing. Everything that Jesus Christ has done, everything that God has done from the very beginning, from the beginning of creation, it all centers on the cross. Because that's where salvation happens. Now, you know, if, if you feel good about coming to church, well, praise God. That's an added benefit. If God blesses you, well, praise God. If he heals you, amen. You know, that those are the things that come with, not in lieu of. Our focus is not on the angels. As a matter of fact, in Revelation 22, once again, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at their feet once again and showed them to me. He said to me, no, you must not do that. The angel says, I am a fellow servant with you. No, no, no. Don't bow down and worship. Don't point attention to me. If you see an angel and if he doesn't say that to you, then it's not an angel of the Lord. Plain and simple. And it's amazing how we get so many people, how, how we get so many people focused on what the, these rulers and authorities are doing. Are there angels amongst us? I'm sure there is. Do we know who they are? Well, not according to the scripture, you know, not, not, not according to what they tell us anymore. You know, I mean, back in the Old Testament, they needed angels. Back in the Old Testament, they needed visions. Back in the Old Testament, they needed a word from the Lord. Back in the Old Testament, they needed... The canon was put together. I keep emphasizing that. The Bible, when it was put together, you need to know your word. 
This was according to the eternal purposes that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the church doesn't exist simply to get people to come to heaven. The church exists to, so that his manifold wisdom can be exploded and, and shown and, and the heavens declare the glory of God from the very beginning. And, and above all, everything proclaims his handiwork. Everything points to God. Everything focuses on God. It's all about God. God's church is to bring him glory from the rulers and the principalities and the authorities and every, everything else. And it's like the angels are looking over and going, oh, I get it. I get it. Now we see they didn't even know what God was up to. They're not omniscient. In other words, they don't know everything. They're not omnipresent. They can't be at everywhere at the same time. They're not omnipotent. They don't have all the power and strength. Only God does. They are created beings, created to serve God. And these angels, it's all, you know, it's, it's, it's to show. The church is there to show them what God is doing. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 16, uh, when Jesus Christ is asking, who do people say that I am? And uh, some people say you're Elijah. Some people say you're John the Baptist. And Peter says, well, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus says to him, Peter, I'll tell you that blood and flesh didn't reveal it to you, but it was revealed to you by by my father. And he says, and I tell you, Peter, you on this rock, I will build my church on the revelation that God has shown you. This is the first mention of his church and how the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Our church, and I don't mean North Park, but our church in general, worldwide is under attack. Our church is under attack from so many forces. Just listening to some of the, and reading some of the information that's going on in the world. The church is under attack, but it will prevail because the gates of hell will not go up against it. Cannot. That's a promise of God. And everything that is done through the Son, and if you remember correctly, that in Luke chapter 15, when, when Jesus is talking about the parable of the last, the lost coin, the last, the, the lost sheep and the, and the lost son, and he's talking about how when the coin is found, when the sheep is found, when the son is found, he says, I tell you, there, is, there will be joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Even the angels don't know who's going to repent. They're waiting for somebody to repent. And that's when they celebrate. It is done to show God's manif- manifold wisdom. It is shown to, to the angels to show the angels, look, this is who I am. And this brings glory to me. And the angels say, well, yeah. That's great. You know, and somebody probably said, it's about time you get that guy Sal out of there, man. It's like, man, we were worried, you know, and they would be. But God knew what he was doing because they had no clue. First Peter 1 says it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. Angels were wondering, how is this all going to plan out? How is all this is going to, to just pan out? And, and, and so we, we, we must be careful. We, our, our attitude should be right. As a matter of fact, in, in 1 Corinthians, uh, well, I can't remember exactly where it's at, but in 1 Corinthians, Paul is saying that there needs to be a, a sign of submission over the women because of the angels. Back then, it was the long hair. The long hair was, was a sign of submission for the angels. And it was a different culture, different time. But, but it was to show that, you know, that, that, that God is, is a God of order. And there's an order within his church. I, I have a, 
Oh, I didn't bring it with me. But anyways, I was, I was reading here a while back on this uh, historian. He's an atheist. Oh, I can't remember his name right now, but he's, he's an atheist. And, and what caught my attention about his book and about his quotes was, was this, is that prior to Christianity, men would do vile things to each other, to children, to the country, to people, to women. And it wasn't until Christianity that things changed. It changed for the women. They became more, uh, they became more valued. They weren't just chattel anymore. They weren't just an object. And they were given prominence. And every time that the Bible talks about a woman, it always elevates them to a place of, of, of prominence, of, of significance. Where all the other cultures were going you know, haywire, Christianity came in and turned the world upside down. And gave them morals, gave them values, gave them everything that the culture is going up against today, is what he said. It's interesting. You know, what, the Christ, what Christianity, an atheist, what Christianity was able to do for the church and for the world is what the world is going up against right now. It's beyond me, but hey, you know, that's just the way things work out. I'm just a historian. And if, if you've been here for any length of time during my Mother's Day message, I would talk about how the Bible does not subjugate women, does not tell women to put them in their place, is not one that demeans women, but every place that the Bible talks about a woman, it brings them up, puts them in an evil, even playing field with other men and women. Jesus is the only one of all the teachers in that time that had women as disciples. Now, the problem that many people have is that it's a male-dominated uh, church, and that's the way God had organized it. There, there are no women preachers. doesn't mean that they're less than. It's just, it's just, there's just not. There are no women, uh, you know, there are women teachers, but not teachers of men. There are women uh, workers, you know, but, but there's an order to what God had done. And, and when we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 and on, we will see that God has this order, this, this order that right now he's teaching this doctrine. I'm teaching you doctrine right now. I'm teaching you doctrine in chapters 4, 5, and 6. This is how you work it out in your life. And when you start talking about relationships, he says, this is why a man should be the head of his household and a wife should be submitted to, his hus- to her husband. Now, that phrase has been taken out of context. And you see, the Bible wants women to be subjugated to the, the guy's foot on her neck and telling her what to do. Beloved, you've got to get a grasp on what Paul has been saying all this time. You take it out of context, yeah, you're going to get that. But that's not what he's saying. And when we get there, I'm going to expound on it. And I pray that you come back. Some of you are thinking, I don't know if I want to come back to that. <laughs> I like the part where I'm in charge. No, you don't. No, you don't. You don't like that. Uh, you know, it's, it's, you may think you do. A lot of women with it that are in charge in their households, and, and they tell, you know, they're very frustrated and very mad because they have to be the one doing everything. But they won't let go. And this is exactly what God had told Eve. Your desire is going to be for your husband. Your desire is going to be to lead your husband. But your husband needs to lead you. And what we need is a church full of men that are willing to lead their spouses, to die for their wife. Just to give you a preview of Ephesians chapter 5, just to give you a preview, God says, first of all, He says, wives, submit to your husbands. Then He says, husbands, love your wives. It's interesting because Paul doesn't say, Wives, you got to love your husbands. So if you want to know the truth, Paul doesn't say anything about loving your husbands, ladies. Okay? Now, okay? Now, don't go away with that. That's it. Okay? But you know, here's the thing. The husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. Are we perfect? Do we sin? Do we, you know, sometimes thumb our nose at God and, you know, do whatever we want, cause a gross sin? 
Yet Christ loves the church. Have I ever done stuff that I haven't even asked for forgiveness? But, you know, we, you know God will forgive me? Yes, because Christ loves the church. Now, be- beloved, just put this in perspective. A man is supposed to love his wife in such a manner that he will forgive her for any, any offense. And he will love her in spite of any offense and give his life for his wife. Now, let me ask you something. If a man is willing to do that for you, let me ask you, which woman would not want to submit to that? To lead her and the family in the way that they should be going. And all responsibility, whether you like it or not, men, all responsibility is on you. When God brings you to his presence, and as he did to Adam, Adam where he, Adam wasn't the one that started this sin, it was Eve. What did God ask for? God asked for, Adam, where are you? It's you that I'm holding accountable. It's you are the one that I gave this command to. You are the one that was supposed to be the head of this household. What did you do? Well, you know, do like Adam, I guess. Blame your wife. It's the wife you gave me. Blame God. It's your fault, God. It's not my fault. Anyways, just to go back to what I was saying about the, the fact that Paul is calling us all one. Greek, Gentile, slave, free, man, women, male, female, we're all one. And as we are comporting ourselves within the church, as people get saved, the angels are watching. They're very concerned about the church. They are very concerned about the church. And one of the first, I believe, one of the first signs that a church is a disobedient church is if it has a woman pastor. I will not permit a woman to teach or to be over a man within the church. That's not me saying, that's Paul. That's God's word. I said that one time, who do you think you are? I said, I'm nobody, but this is the word of God. And the first sign of a disobedient church is that women are in leadership. And it's unfortunate that that has caused a lot of stir within our church. And I stand behind that. It's God's word. But you know, beloved, if we understand what God is trying to do here, he's not trying to make women less. He's not trying to make them obey everything that a man says. He's not trying to get them to be nothing. No, we are one. But there's an order to it. There is. And the last point, I just need to rest during all affliction. I need to rest during all affliction. This is very key. And it goes on to say, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering. Paul was in prison. Paul was suffering five years. He's getting ready to get executed. He's getting ready to be, you know, they know it's coming. And everybody said, Paul, you know, what are we going to Don't worry about me. Again, perspective. Perspective. I need a rest. I need a rest to know that God knows what he's doing. Especially if I'm diving into his word and I'm praying and I'm asking God to use my situation to further his kingdom and his program and his plan, his stewardship. As long as I understand that that's what God's doing. He says, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering. In Hebrews 4.15 it says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. You have a high priest, Jesus Christ. You have a, a, a Savior, the man that, of Christ. He went before us, and he, the Bible says he was tempted in every way that you can be tempted, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need.
First Timothy 3.13 says, For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also a great confidence in the faith that is of Christ Jesus. You see, we shouldn't be concerned about the things that are happening to us. Unfortunately, that's the first thing that we are, is concerned about the things that are happening to us. Because it's happening to us. It hurts. It's painful. If it's not physically painful, it's spiritually painful. It, it hurts inside. The Bible describes this as the bowels of my life, of my body, is just erupting in pain and agony. You know, it's at that point where everything just seems to be turning inside out. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul says, You know what? Bring it on. I've gone through beatings, I've gone through this, you know, stabbings, all kinds of stuff. I've been, everything's happening, and you know what? It's like no big deal to me. Not compared with the glory that I'm going to receive. We finish off with uh, Ephesians 1. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now again, Philippians, like Ephesians, he's writing it from prison. And so he's in prison. He's telling the people in, in verses 12 and 14, you know, don't worry about why I'm in prison. Don't try to get, bail me out. I've got a ministry going on here. I've got a jail ministry going on. Everything's going well. People are getting saved. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. The imperial guard, all the guards, everybody else around them, they, they, this guy's in here for, because of Jesus Christ, not because somebody you know, snitched him out or they brought him here from Jerusalem. He keeps saying he's for Christ, for Christ, for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, check this out, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Your situation, your situation in life, whether it's a good one, whether the sun is shining, or you're walking through the wilderness, whether if there's pain in the offering, or if there's just this great thing that's just happening in your life, is to bless the Lord. And it is to further the kingdom. And you use every opportunity to do so. Perspective. And so when you do this, when you recognize and you realize we submit to one another, we submit to the Lord, we, we bring people in, guess what? The angels are up there rejoicing. The angels are helping, are coming along. The angels are, 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 talk, are, are talking amongst themselves and, and are leading us and, and messengers. And they're watching God's manifold wisdom unfold. But we have to do our part. And I, and I want you to know that we have, in the past, as we've baptized people, brought people into the kingdom, as we've, people have led people to the Lord, all of that. I mean, it, it's, he's not saying, you know, you've got to be a thousand mega church members, you know, type of... He didn't say it has to be a hundred or ten, where two or three are gathered. That's the requirement, two or three. I think we have more than two here, right? More than three. Where two or three are gathered, Jesus says, that's where I'm at. I'm right in the midst of them. And if we gather in the name of Jesus, we start off with the word of prayer, we, we sing songs to Jesus about Jesus' love, about the things that he's done and, and the things that he's doing in our life. We pray for one another. We lift one another up. We fellowship with one another. We, we come together on a weekly basis, sometimes even two or three times a week. But we do so because of God's manifold wisdom being displayed. Let me ask you to stand so we can pray out. <clears throat> Thank you.
as I was preparing for today's message, not, not preparing, just kind of tightening it up, Ken walks in. I says, you know, I just keep adding stuff to, to the message. There's, man, there's a lot of stuff in here, but I, I guess I can make this a three-part message. You know, I don't know. He says, well, you just get an extra bottle of water. You'll be all right. <laughs> I want to get, get on to the practical part of it. I really do. But we, we can't know what it is that we should do unless we, first of all, find out who we are. That's the doctrinal part of it. Every, every epistle that Paul writes, doctrine first, application. Doctrine first, application. And so he says, this is, what, this is who you are. This is why you're here. This is what the church is doing. Okay, now here's how you work this out in your relationships. This is what you do when you're in trouble. You put on your spiritual armor. This is how you work life. It's, it's theology. It's, it's reformed theology for practical living is what we call it. So that you can live this out in your life. Father in heaven, thank you once again for being clear in your word. I know that uh, those that are listening to us from online and uh, even some here might, might have a, an issue with especially the angels and the revelation and, and uh, just the things that uh, your word already says is spoken of. We are not to focus on anyone else but you. And Lord, we come together today to, to hear from you, to see you and to understand your word. And we thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy. We thank you, Father, for bringing us to this point of salvation. Now help us to, to share that with other people. Because just like you are concerned about us, we should be concerned about others. You are. Help us to bring that gospel message to people that they can hear it. Because it's your word. Father, once again, we thank you for this week and how you've brought us thus far. And uh, how you're going to bring us to the next phase of our life. Keep us uh, close to you throughout this week. As we continue on in our life, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen, amen and Amen. All right. Please stick around for some fellowshipping. And I'll be up here for a moment if you'd like to come up for a word of prayer.